Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Everybody and welcome back to this Friday follow-up episode of Truth and Justice. I'm your host, Bob Ruff. And I'm your co-host, Mike Fussing. And in today's episode, we're going to be answering your questions regarding episode 248, Truth Revealed. This episode was full of a lot of small details that answered a lot of big questions for us. That's exactly right. During this episode, we learned that, number one, we now know for certain that Angela and Leonard's baby was not living in the home with them. We also learned that robbery was most certainly not a motive in this murder. And we were also able to answer the question about if and when Elnora's daughter-in-law called her the night she was killed. And while this episode answered a lot of questions, it also presented us with a lot more. So let's move right along and get right into the listener questions. All right, Chief, we're going to get right into emails. This first email comes from Lauren A. Lauren writes, If I recall correctly, if you press star 69, it told you verbally the last number that called you back in the 90s. I remember this because it was how I found out my ex-husband was cheating on me. That's probably how Angela got Elnora's number. Desperate women do desperate things. Keep up the good work. I greatly admire you and your cause. Okay, thanks, Lauren. And you are correct, back in the 90s, and I actually did a little bit of fact-checking, and star 69 was a thing before 1993. Aside from redial, you could dial star 69, and it would read back to you the last number that called you, as opposed to redial, which would redial the last number that you called. The issue here is, Leonard says that he had called Elnora, and then Angela pressed redial. However, given everything else that we know, and all of the different versions of stories we've heard from both Leonard and Angela, I honestly don't think that it really matters. Obviously, somehow, she had Elnora's phone number, or at least Leonard says she does. And at this point, I don't put any weight into anything Leonard says about how anything happened. But you are right. It could have been that Elnora called their house, and then Angela pressed star 69. We do know from Elnora's phone records that on the Monday night before she was murdered, she called Leonard's house at 11.20 p.m. when he would have been at work still. Knowing that, it very well could have been Angela who answered the phone and maybe Angela pressed star 69 after that. But to be honest with you, unless we have Leonard Mosley's phone records, we'll never know for certain. If we had his phone records, we'd be able to tell because back in the 90s when you pressed star 69, there was a charge that came with that. I believe it was about 50 cents every time you used it. 
But as of right now, we really have no way of absolutely knowing how Angela got Elnora's phone number. All we have to go on is what Leonard said, which is that she pressed redial, which I think we can all agree isn't the case. Redial would not have given Angela Elnora's actual phone number. This next email comes from Des, one of our transcriptionists. Des writes, Hi Bob and Mike. I'm wondering if the missing baby issue could be due to a child protective service complaint. CPS records are not public, so it would be difficult to find out, but my thoughts were that could CPS have custody of the child due to negligence or whatever? Leonard and Angela are suspiciously vague about the whereabouts of the child during this time. Leonard has many stories about why Angela was living with him, from she got pregnant to she had some trouble. Just wondering if she was living with Leonard in an effort to stabilize her situation and regain custody of the child. Well, I suppose that's possible, but I kind of doubt it. And part of my reason for thinking that is because of Leonard's kind of nonchalantness about it when I discussed it with him when I interviewed him. If Angela was just living with Leonard in order to get her shit together so that she could get custody of the child back, number one, I think Leonard would remember that. But if you remember the interview, he couldn't remember if the baby was even born yet when Angela was living there with him. The impression that I got is that Leonard really didn't seem to care at all. I mean, his child was obviously living with Angela, the mother, and even if the child was taken away from Angela, custody would have reverted to him, the father. So given all that together, I don't think we're looking at a CPS issue. CPS typically deals with households, and since Angela and Leonard didn't live together, if Angela was deemed to be unfit, or her living situation was determined to be unfit, that doesn't have anything to do with Leonard as the other parent or his living situation. So I still don't know what exactly was going on with the baby, but I don't think that it was a CPS thing. All right, Chief, that's it for emails. Now we're going to move on to Facebook. On Facebook, Kelly Chang posts, If Angela and Leonard were in a relationship, how could he get away with spending the night with Elnora once a week? Seems like a weird dynamic. It most definitely is a weird dynamic. And again, like many other things here, the problem is that Leonard and Angela's stories keep changing. We're going to get into more of this in much more detail on Sunday, but in the first trial, when Angela testified, she claimed she had no idea that he went to Elnora's on Thursday nights. Now, in the second trial, she did know about it. Leonard says that Angela knew and that he still always went because him and Angela were just friends, but then he said he hadn't been there in two weeks, which is how long Angela had been living with him. So it's hard to know who's telling the truth here or when they were telling the truth, but if I had to venture a guess... I'm guessing that when Angela moved in, Elnora broke things off with Leonard. He didn't go there the Thursday night before the murder. The next day, that Friday, he talked to Elnora, like we discussed in last week's episode. He told her that he was going to take care of the situation. He didn't take care of the situation until the Thursday that Elnora was killed. I'm guessing maybe at that point, he told Angela that he needed to break it off because he was working things out with Elnora. And that's why he possibly decided to actually go to Elnora's the night that she was murdered. Given everything that we know, that seems to be the most likely scenario to me, that Leonard was lying to both Elnora and Angela. All right, that's it for Facebook. Now we'll move on to Twitter. Our first tweet comes from the Grammar Police. The Grammar Police again? Yeah. SD tweets, January 1 episode, you keep saying ATM machine. ATM is automated teller machine. Hashtag pet peeve, keep up the good work. All right, so to be honest with you, SD's not the only one that tweeted that at me. I did see them this weekend. And I can always count on the good old grammar police to keep me in check. I am, in fact, aware that ATM stands for automatic teller machine, and it is improper grammar to say ATM machine. I understand exactly how they work. You walk up to the ATM, you punch in your PIN number. Smartass. Right. 
<laughs> and you get your cash out. <laughs> wait, wait, you lost me there. What? What's the last step of the process? You get your cash out. <laughs> oh, right, right. At the ATM machine. That's right. With yeah. your PIN number. <laughs> Got it. So anyway, yes, again, I have misspoken. You were all kind enough to point it out to me. Now, I'm going to be kind to Esty because I don't know Esty. However, a good friend of mine, uh, a guy named TJ Cunahan, who produces the Pints and Puzzles podcast, which, by the way, I would highly recommend the Pints and Puzzles podcast. Uh, But since I actually know TJ, I'll point out that TJ also tweeted at me about the ATM machine debacle of 2017. And I'd like to say to TJ, uh, suck it. (laughs) (laughs) You want me to edit that out? No, TJ. (laughs) You can't just fucking go off like that on him. (laughs) <laughs> right. Fuck TJ. <laughs> That's Pints and Puzzles Podcast by TJ Cunahan. Yeah, it's a great show. I love it. All right. Do we have any more tweaks? <laughs> yeah. Uh, <clears throat> okay. All right. Next week. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> 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 Next, we have a tweet from W. Andrew Gibbons. Andrew doesn't have a question, but I think he hit the nail right on the head here. Hugel, I don't think you did it. Mosley, let me give you a reason to think I did it. Hugel, I think this kid did it. That is a very good summary of that last episode and the interview with Leonard Mosley and Dale Hugel, actually. If you haven't done so already, I would highly recommend for all of you to go onto the website, truthandjusticepod.com, Go to the case documents and read that transcript, and it's just sickening reading it. It could not be more crystal clear that Dale Huckel did not give a shit about Leonard Mosley. He was interviewing Mosley because it was a hoop that he needed to jump through. It was a box that needed to be checked. But the whole time, it's very clear that he does not think that Leonard did it, he's not interested in him as a suspect, and he already had his mind made up about who did do it. Very astute observation, Andrew. All right, last tweet, Chief, before we move on to the calls. This one comes from James Corcoran. Are you planning to interview Mosley again? I wonder how he would be next time. Uh, It's a good question, James. I would like to talk to Leonard again, but I haven't decided yet if or when I'm going to. There have been two or three different occasions where I was planning to call him back to do a follow-up interview, but then I find more information that's leading me another direction. So I'll say this, if I decide to interview Leonard Mosley again or attempt to interview him again, It'll be when I have all of my ducks in a row, all of the evidence gathered, everything cross-referenced, so I know what questions to ask him. Because I'm pretty sure if he does give me a second interview, he's not going to give me a third. But at the same time, after you hear what we find out this coming weekend on Sunday, you'll realize, as I have realized, that interviewing Leonard Mosley really isn't going to do us any good. He has already clearly established with me that he's not going to tell the truth. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, Chief. Our first caller wants to know about the bullets in the Joy Watkins case. <laughs> really? Uh, it might have been a wrong number. <laughs> Did she not want to? T- did you tell her? I, I did. I clarified it to which she replied with a, a humble hang up. <laughs> no response, huh? No. All right. Well, let's see who calls it next. All right. I'm on the air with Rachel from Washington. How are you doing tonight, Rachel? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing really well. Before we get started, is your question about the Edward Eights case? It is. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> we just had. <laughs> Our first caller just called in and had a really, really good question about the Joey Watkins case on Undisclosed. We're like, um, podcast. <laughs> wrong number. Yeah. Oh, that is too funny. So what do you have for us tonight, Rachel? Um, I was just wondering if you guys know if Allison Clayton has received any of the documents or transcripts that you guys haven't received in the open records request. Do you know? I do know, and the answer is no. So I had been told by Smith County, remember way back when they sent us the bill for the open records request, and I got this huge bill, and it was charging me for all this uh, redaction and gathering the information and all this stuff. So I I thought the bill was excessive. So then I asked Allison if they had charged her because we had made very similar requests, and she had said, yes, they did charge her, but her bill was less. And so when I questioned uh, Smith County about it, they told me that was because she had requested less information than me, where she had kind of done like a a more of a blanket request. I had when I filed mine, I had already been through the entire record. So I knew particular things that did exist, you know, so like I I didn't ask just for a blanket. You know, I specifically said, you know, I want the recorded interview of Monica Bush because I know from the transcript that there was indeed a recorded interview from Monica Bush. Also... Uh, with my request, the attorney general had ruled, you know, we had all that back and forth with the AG's office, had ruled that they had to turn over uh, attorney work product to me, which they typically don't have to do. After I got mine, I was missing all, the, all these documents that should be there. Uh, I contacted Allison and asked her, and she said she, they did indeed get their records request back. However, hers was about a 1,000 pages less than mine. Okay. So as far as we know, there was nothing missing. And, and of course, I uh, immediately shared everything I had with Allison, so she has it because, you know, she's the one actually working on the case. <laughs> yeah, definitely. But, no, she doesn't. Okay. As far as we know, um, unless, you know, we dig through any further, we've started looking through them. And I haven't looked at her, but she and her team have started looking through and comparing what they have to what I have. And as far as we know okay. at this point, they don't have anything uh, more than I have. They actually have less. Interesting. Okay, I was just wondering if maybe they received stuff you didn't. Nope, uh, we were hoping, but they didn't. But that is a, a great question. Thanks for calling in, Rachel. I appreciate it. Thank you. Have a good day. You too. Bye. Bye. All right, I'm on the air with Sarah Hoyt, who is actually one of our transcriptions. How are you doing tonight, Sarah? How's everything going? Transcribe. Hey, Bob. I'm good. How are you? <laughs> good. Is that going to be hard to transcribe if I talk real fast? <laughs> yeah, slow it down. Just permanently talk at a really slow pace. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> will you will you be transcribing this episode? No, Des will be doing this episode. So I'm just gonna give her some 
some curveballs to go with. Oh, nice. Uh, before we get going on your questions, yeah. um, I've never actually spoken to you, so it's nice to meet you on the phone. Yeah, you too. Um, so let, let me ask you this. I know you guys, I get the emails when you guys are doing all the transcription. Do you guys have like a system? How do you have it set up, you and the other Sarah and Desiree? How do you guys have it set up for you to decide who does which episode? Yeah, so right now we're still getting through the back episode. So we um, so lovingly gave the other Sarah a bigger chunk of the back episode. Um, <laughs> That'd be Sarah Mueller. <laughs> yeah. So she's working through those. Des and I work through a chunk ourselves of the back episodes. And then right now, Des does these episodes, the follow-up episodes, and I do the Sunday episodes. Um, And then kind of once we're all caught up, we'll kind of reassess and figure out a new system. But right now, that's been working pretty well. Well, it seems to be working really well. We seem to be catching up on all the old ones. Every time I talk to Ed, he tells me how much he appreciates all of the transcripts. It gives he he, lo- he loves to read anyway, and uh, reading about what we're doing here, he's he's really really enjoying it. So, I mean, I really appreciate it. Ed really appreciates it. And at some point, hopefully, we'll actually get the website updated, and then all the listeners will appreciate it when I put the transcripts onto the website. <laughs> yeah, I'm so glad. I'm so glad he gets to read them. I know that kind of going through them helps me to, you've probably seen emails from me of like, I'm close transcribing. I caught this. Yeah. Yeah. I so. have. <laughs> yeah. And um, yeah, Mike usually forwards them on to me or I, I get them and then I forget to email you guys back, but you always have good points. <laughs> no worries. <laughs> so Mike says you have, uh, you would, you would send an email in with a bunch of questions and said you were going to try and call. So we kind of held off on those and luckily you got through. So what do you, what do you want to ask? Okay, so I know when you were talking about Leonard's interview with the police, the first one, that you were talking about him getting his days mixed up. And I can see where he did that, but I still had a couple of questions because I read it one way, you said it the same way, he seemed to say it the same way, and I didn't really seem like he was confused. So in the transcript, he's talking about, um, and Hugo is reiterating, so you worked there Thursday, all day Thursday day, what took place after that? And he says, I got up at 11, took a shower, and he's saying he took Bobby O'Neill home. Right. But then what comes next is him saying that he was home, 12.30, 12.45, Michael showed up and things like that. Then Hugo corrects him about Michael showing up on Friday, not Thursday. And Mosley says, oh, Thursday, I went straight home got home around 12. So it negates the Bobby O'Neill alibi for Thursday because he seems to be associating it with the events of Michael showing up right on Friday. Yeah, and it's gonna, and even in Mosley's testimony in the first trial, it's hard to track because he keeps confusing the two dates. I got out of it when I was done with it because I, I was reading, and you should see the markups on my notes, and I was reading, it's like, oh, he's lying. He's saying he gave Bobby O'Neill a ride home on Thursday. And it was Friday, he changed his story, but then, like, right after that, you know, Hugo, like you said, Hugo came in and said, wait, are you talking about Thursday or Friday? And he said, oh, no, no, that's Friday. Okay, I'm talking about Thursday. And he said, no, no, Thursday, I just went straight home. It's actually one of the things, other than that mixed-up statement, that is consistent through the rest of his, you know, his trial testimony that we have at both trials, is that Thursday night, he really has no alibi other than, he says, when he got home at 1210, the after 12, that Angela knows that he was there. Although Angela testified at both trials that he didn't get home on Thursday night until 1245. Right. I guess I was under the impression up to this point that the Bobby O'Neill story had always been attached to Thursday, the night of the murder. Well, we had question about it because it's brought up in the second trial, which we had the transcripts before. 
And I was always wondering if he said that because remember back then we didn't have this this transcript of the interview. Mm-hmm. And uh, Ed's attorney, Tom McLean, was questioning Leonard and saying, did you say that you got the ride home on Thursday? And Leonard's like, no, I didn't say that. And he said, are you sure you didn't say that? You know, you want to read this transcript and you can, you know, and ask you again, did you ever say that? And Leonard's like, no, I didn't say it. If it's, a, if it's in there, it's a mistake. From reading that, you know, kind of you know, what we've had to do in the past, and you've heard me say it several times on the show, that, you know, we got to kind of read between the lines when they're referencing documents that we don't have. Kind of my assumption there was that Leonard had originally said that he gave Bobby O'Neill a ride home Thursday and then changed his story later. But now that we have the transcript and I see, I see what was happening was McLean was trying to pin him down to saying that he gave O'Neill a ride home on that Thursday because he did actually say that in the transcript. But two lines later, and actually Dobb comes in and objects and asks him to, or doesn't object, but in cross says, can you read two lines after that where it's, where it clearly says that you're talking about Friday. That's interesting. So no alibi then. And we didn't go towards him at all. No. Even more interesting. It's worse than that, actually, because the only alibi he has was Angela, but she has a conflicting story because he says he got home at 10 after 12, and Angela says he didn't get home till 1245. So those two never lined up, but Huckel never interviewed Angela. He asked her to come. He talked to her on the phone, asked her to come in. She missed the appointment, and he just never bothered to follow up on it. Huckel never even, it didn't matter if, if Bobby O'Neill was Thursday or Friday because no one from the sheriff's department ever contacted Bobby O'Neill to find out whether right. that happened or not. Uh, so, but yeah, I mean, Leonard Mosley does not have an alibi for the night of the murder. He, the only, his story was not confirmed by the person who was supposed to confirm his alibi, which was Angela Walker. Mm-hmm. Wow, Bob. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so you had, you had more points, right? Yeah, I do have more points. Okay, so because he seems to have a trend of kind of getting things backwards. I had two things that I thought were at least worth asking the question about, could he have been flip-flopping and does do things make more sense? Okay. So the first one was with the ex-wife comment about showing up at Elnora's or not. Is it possible that when they were having that conversation that Elnora's family was confused about what the acquaintance was with Leonard? So assuming that Angela and Leonard were married because they had a kid together, she was living with him. And so they're referencing the ex-wife. And because that's the verbiage that was used when the question was asked in the interview with the cop, that he just kind of went with it. Could it have still been Angela under that context? I think it absolutely still could have been Angela. I mean, unfortunately, uh, Super Detective Huckel didn't take any notes when he (laughs) talked to any of the family. But but again, he referenced in the interview with Mosley that, and he said, Huckel said the family out there said that she was having problems with Angela, or was was, was indicating that. And then Leonard corrects him mm-hmm. and says, no, 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 that's my ex-wife. They were talking about my ex-wife. She's not my ex-wife. Uh, but I, I think that's entirely a possibility. I, I do actually know now, thanks to, I want to throw a shout out to listener Adam Lewis, uh, he's actually the person that put together the the companion website. Uh, but Adam did some research for me and has helped me track down Elnor's family, along with some of the questions that we've had that have gone unanswered. One of which was, remember last week I said that Joanne, the one they had the domestic dispute with, uh, several domestic disputes with, was his ex-wife, but they didn't marry until 95. So I didn't know if he married her twice 
Well, there was another ex-wife that he got divorced from, I believe, uh, off the top of my head, in 1989. So there, there is another ex-wife out there who is the mother, I believe, of his other children. But I, I, I literally just found that information out hours ago, so I haven't, haven't done any more research into it. So I guess it's possible that the ex-wife was harassing Elnora, but that seemed, I mean... That would that would mean that according to Leonard, Angela was calling her and harassing her, and his ex-wife is calling her and harassing her or bothering her. It, it, it seems like a bit of a stretch, and to be honest, Leonard doesn't seem like that much of a catch to me. Right, I was just thinking the same thing. Like, what is worth harassing this woman about for him who keeps running around on everybody? So, women in Smith County must have a thing for short guys. <laughs> I guess. I guess. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. The other thing that I thought he might have gotten backwards or like miscommunicated was when he was talking about the redial on how Angela got Elnora's phone number. Or maybe we were just reading the transcript in opposite ways. So he was talking about she got it because, and if I'm reading the transcript, it says, we was going to go to a movie or something, and I called her, and it just so happened she pushed redial, and it was her number. But is it possible that the she's and the hers are opposite, where Leonard called Angela at home from Elnora's, and then Angela used, like, a star 69 function to do, like, a last call redial, which does read you the phone number? of the number that called in. It could be, or it could just be that Leonard's full of shit altogether. You know, because it also be that. Yeah. I mean, I, the thing is we've, we've caught so many lies and so, and in this week's episode, we're going to break down, uh, I've actually had to make a table of every statement he made and track it from Huckel's interview to the second Tim Lowndes interview to trial one to trial two, to my interview to see how the stories have, have evolved over the years. But there's there's so many things that have been caught that it's hard to really put much weight into anything he says or believe anything that he's saying. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, it could be Star 69 or it could have been that Elnora called her. You know, And I actually mentioned in the first segment already that, you know, we know that at 1120 on the Monday night, three nights before Elnora was killed, that she called Leonard's house at 1120 at night. But Leonard doesn't get home until after midnight, which means Angela Walker mm-hmm. would have answered. So it could, and it was a one minute call, so it could have been like a hang up. So it's possible that Elnora called, hung up, and Angela Star 69 to get the number. Uh, we just don't know. I mean, there's, there's no way for us to know. So I guess the, the answer to your question is yes, it's possible. So my last point doesn't necessarily have to do with this episode, but it got me thinking as I was going through some back episodes and getting things ready this week for some transcriptions. But we talked a couple of weeks ago about in the crime lab episode about how important some of that untested evidence could be, like the scraping from her fingernails, the mixed blood, that kind of thing. 
and I can't remember, and I hope I'm not mixing this up with other things that I've been researching, but I thought that there was a conversation about a law that was passed in Texas where evidence couldn't be destroyed until, you know, all appeals were exhausted and got all the way through the process, and then suddenly evidence started disappearing shortly after that. And I don't know if it's that, but is there any concern with something like that happening now that you've kind of aired the importance of this evidence where someone in Smith County who might be getting nervous could order that evidence destroyed? There's always that possibility. That that's for certain. We always have somebody we have to be concerned about. Uh, but at this point, it would be it would take a lot of guts because it's been made so public that it's available. And yeah, the law you're referring to was the biological evidence preservation law in 2001 that says that the evidence must all biological evidence must be men- maintained. I, I believe it ends up being like if, if somebody serves their whole sentence and then like 25 or 40 years after that, they cannot get rid of the evidence. Uh, not in Smith County, but in the Dallas Crime Lab, we have confirmation. Allison was able to get confirmation that they do indeed still have frozen samples of the fingernail clippings, the hairs, several of the blood samples, a lot of the biological evidence. For example, like the the stain on the on the comforter. You know, they don't hold on to the comforter, but they take if they take a swab and put it on a slide, they keep the slide. Mm-hmm. So that would mean, I mean, it would, it would have to go pretty deep conspiracy for them to go back now after already telling us that they have it and destroy it now. Now, there is quite a bit of physical evidence still at Smith County. We have, uh, we've located a box of physical evidence that is sealed that has an inventory list on it that says everything that's in there. Uh, and I don't have that. I know Allison has access to that. But it has not been open. It's still sealed. So we don't have any confirmation these items are still in there. Uh, but legally, they should still be in there. So and I, and I believe that's something that, that she's working on is, make, is, to, is to go you know, make an appointment to be present to open the seal to see what's inside of there. Uh, but so, yeah, it's always a concern. But like I said, it would be a pretty ballsy move at this point uh, for them to get rid of it when we, we know what should exist. We know what the law is. So, you know, anything that gets destroyed now would be a blatant. So like what happened with Kenny Snow and Carrie Max Cook's case was they both had, you know, we'll look at Kenny Snow specifically. So in Kenny's case at the robberies, specifically the second robbery, there was uh, a can of mace that was recovered that had blood and fingerprints on it. And more importantly, uh, there was also blood taken from the floor that they believe came from the assailant from the fight. And then more importantly, there was a baseball hat that was worn by the the assailant that got knocked off during the fight and was on the ground. Okay, th- that hat absolutely will have the DNA of the robber in it. No question about that. A hat that you're wearing on your head with your hair and sweat, possibly blood from the fight. There is DNA all over that hat. So Kenny asked for the D after he got you know hacked from his rob- his probation and brought back into into jail and and sentenced to forty years. He requested that that DNA be tested, uh, which is one of the reasons why I believed in his actual innocence from the beginning. I mean, if they're telling you we have the we have the robber's DNA right here, and you voluntarily say, "Well, I want you to test it," you know, why would you do that if you knew it was yours? But in any case, I got a, they, they sent a letter back, and what I went down and got later was the report where in, in March of 2002, they ordered it to be destroyed. So that law passed in December of 2001. Three months later, after the law was passed, they ordered this evidence to be destroyed, which was illegal. And then when I picked up Carrie Max Cook's case, we found out the exact same thing happened. 
In the same batch that was destroyed in 2002 when they destroyed Kenny's, they destroyed Carrie Max Cook's DNA evidence. So I, I, I don't find, I, I find it to be, I don't believe in coincidences. So that, you know, they've got a, a storage room and an evidence locker full of evidence. A new law comes out that says you have to maintain this evidence. And all of a sudden, two, you know, we, we've looked at three cases in Smith County. We've only looked at three cases. And in all three cases, we have pretty clear and compelling evidence of actual innocence. And what appears to be some pretty severe police and prosecutorial misconduct. So it can't be just that three. You know, it, it can't be, we can't be so lucky that we happen to stumble across the only three times where they ever bent the rules. Yeah, and I guess that's why I get worried is because, you know, I think I remember you saying that there weren't really any consequences or repercussions from that. I mean, there was no hand slap. There was no firing. There there was nothing. So what's stopping them from doing it 15 years later? Right. Well, and the issue is that there was no consequences put into the law. So it said, don't do this. But the law doesn't state if you do do this this is what's going to happen. And so it, it was done. Now, back then, it could be, you know, they could argue, well, it was a new law. It was our standard procedure to, to destroy the evidence. We didn't know. Whatever they're going to claim. What we have now is, you know, if this happens again now, we, you know, that wasn't, we know for a fact this DNA was not destroyed in 2002. We know it still existed for a fact in 2010. So if they were to destroy it now, uh, I think we. I think this this would be disbarment. This would be firing. This would be criminal charges because you know in, mm-hmm. in order to get the attention of the Department of Justice, what you have to have is a pattern. So right now we have two cases where they illegally destroyed DNA that they could claim as an accident. Uh, just so happens what goes in their favor is one was a white guy and one was a black guy. So you can't even say it was a racial thing. I I promise you, if something get, if something turns up missing in Ed's case now that should be there. I will pull FOIA requests for every single piece of DNA that county has ever destroyed and find every single piece that was destroyed illegally and we'll find our pattern, I guarantee you. <laughs> Good. Was that your was that your last point, Sarah? That's my whole list, Bob, and I've only taken 20 minutes of everyone else's time to call in. <laughs> no, that, that that that's perfect. It was a great call and I like I said I'm I'm glad to finally <laughs> hear from you in person at least on the phone and those were some great questions. We yeah. appreciate the call. Yeah, definitely. And I just want to tell Des, supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. <laughs> okay, it was really nice talking to you, Sarah. We'll talk to you later. Goodbye. Okay, okay, bye. <laughs> all right, that's all the time we have for phone calls tonight. But Chief, you had a request for the Truth and Justice Army, didn't you? Right. I do have a mission, so to speak. And I can't stress enough how important this is. I can't really get into the why right now. I just need you to trust me that I need someone to come through on this. And I'm hoping with so many of you from all around the country that we can get this done. I need to find, as soon as possible, a 1989 Mercury Tracer hatchback. Any 1989 Mercury Tracer hatchback. I don't care if it's a used car. I don't care if it's in a junkyard or if it's your neighbor's car. If any of you or all of you can search by any means possible and try to locate a 1989 Mercury Tracer hatchback, you could be an integral part to actually solving this case. So if you find one, or you know of one, even if you just have like an online listing for one for sale, forward the information to me, email it to theories at truthandjusticepod.com, put in the subject line Mercury. That's theories at truthandjusticepod.com, and put Mercury in the subject line. And again, the make and model of the vehicle we're looking for 
is a 1989 Mercury Tracer hatchback. Okay, well, we want to thank everybody for writing in and calling in tonight. It's always great to hear from you. It is. This is definitely my favorite part of the week is to be able to talk on the phone with all of you. Make sure you download and listen to this Sunday's episode. We're continuing to dig deeper and deeper into the weeds, and it's going to be another powerful episode. And we'll be recording the phone calls for next week's follow-up at 7 p.m. Eastern Time next Wednesday. And we're looking forward to hearing from you all next week. But until then, see ya. Truth and Justice is a production of New Beginning Incorporated. Our executive producer is Mike Bussing. Opening music was To the Top by Score Squad. All other music was created by Shane Yoder. I want to thank Tate Krupa for designing and creating our logo. And of course, we want to thank our transcriptionists, Sarah Hoyt, Sarah Mueller, and Desiree Dunn for transcribing all the episodes every week and mailing them out to Ed and Kenny. Make sure as we move along, you keep in touch. Keep sending in your thoughts, theories, and ideas to theories at truthandjusticepod.com. Send your new cases into cases at truthandjusticepod.com. You can like the Facebook page or follow us on Twitter at TruthJusticePod. However you do it, stay engaged, stay in touch. But as for now, we're signing off. I'm Bob Ruff. And I'm Mike Bussing. And this has been Truth and Justice. You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com aware. Terms apply.